0: Amen. It is good to be here. It is good not to be in Buffalo. For those of you who don't know, I think they got about five feet of snow. Or for those of you who are not imperial measurers, you know, is that a meter and a half of, uh, of snow? I want to talk today about a um, subject which I call feet first faith. Feet first, faith is an important thing to, to um, understand. A lot of times when I prepare a sermon, uh, I will just spend time and say, God, what is it that we need to hear at this time? What is the rhema? What is the, what is the word that God wants to say today? And many times when that happens, there are certain sermons that I preach where I think this, this message, I believe, will hit a particular group. Of individuals. In other words, I'm kind of shooting with a rifle. And what happens is when the word of God is preached, I believe that it resonates to everybody. And um, sometimes there's what I will call a hand grenade sermon. What is a hand grenade sermon? Well, it's a sermon that gets preached and at the time it doesn't apply to you. But then all of a sudden, a week or a month later, something takes place in your life. That deeply impacts you, and all of a sudden, the word that was fed to you like a month ago becomes real. You ever have that? Didn't affect me at the time, but all of a sudden, something came back, something that someone said, something that was preached becomes important for us that day. But today, I believe that this is something for everybody. I believe that all of God wants all of us to be feet first followers. So, what does it mean? To have feet first faith and to be a feet foot follower. Because to be honest right now, Pastor Mike, this just kind of sounds like a bad Dr. Seuss sermon. But it's not. What What does it actually mean? What am I talking about? It refers to a person who's so passionate in their walk with God, with Jesus, that they continually find themselves at the feet of Jesus. And this is seen throughout Scripture. I believe that Daniel in the Old Testament was a feet first Follower was the first thing that he did, and I observed this this whole thought uh, when I was preparing for a uh, pastors' conference. The, the the most recent pastors' conference they had in our in our um, in our fellowship here in Manitoba, they asked me to speak. They figured, yeah, this guy's old. He's been in pastors' ministry for a long time. Hopefully, he has learned something by this time. and And so, okay, the pressure's on. I better say something that actually makes a difference. And so. I began to look, for some reason, I was looking for people in Scripture, particularly the Gospels, people who took a chance, people who risked. And I came upon a particular individual, and I found some interesting things about her. Actually, it's a family, but I want to kind of concentrate on on one of those individuals. And of course, it is, is the character of Mary. How many appreciate Mary in the New Testament? And first of all, you're going to say, as you lift your hand, which Mary are you talking about? Particularly in the Gospels. Talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. You're talking about Mary Magdalene. You're talking about Mary of Bethany. You're talking about Mary, the mother of James. I have no idea. When I get to heaven, maybe one question I'm going to ask, why is there so many Marys? They could have made it a little bit easier for us. I'm talking about... Uh, what would probably be best described as Mary of uh, Bethany. As a matter of fact, there is a, a family. Um, there is uh, Martha, there is Mary, and there was Lazarus. So Scott, it was interesting that Pastor Glenn begins to talk about Mary and Martha. I thought, okay, well, maybe I just have to preach half a sermon, and uh, Glenn will just kind of start it off for me. Um, but I I have found that there is something interesting about Mary and the whole gospel story. You only hear of Mary three times. But there are three distinct times. There are three times where we learn something interesting. The first is found in um, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, the last part of chapter 10 of Luke. The other time you hear about Mary of Bethany is at a time where um, her brother Lazarus dies. And she has conversation with Jesus at that time. One chapter later, the first part of John chapter 12, there was a time when Jesus was there and Mary shows up, breaks this bottle, pours it down on Jesus' feet again. And and you'll notice that every single time, all three occasions, Mary is doing something at Jesus' feet. Now, either Mary has an unhealthy preoccupation with Jesus' feet, or there's something important for us to learn in the scriptures. There's something that she did. There's something that she learned that we need to learn. The first time, first session is talking about being at Jesus' feet to grow. The second session is being at Jesus' feet to grieve. The other time was to be at Jesus' feet to grasp. And so there's some interesting things that I want to point out to you. Now, to get to know who Mary, Martha, and um, Lazarus are, they're a family that lived in a town which was called Bethany, and Bethany was like a two-mile walk from Jerusalem. If you were to take a look in, at the, uh, a map of Jerusalem and see it as a clock, Bethany would kind of be at like 3.30 sort of thing along the eastern, eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives, and you kind of walked two feet, wasn't far. Now, what we can assume of, of, of this family is that they were a wealthy family, or at least they had a house big enough to accommodate many people. Because many times Jesus found himself there. I don't know whether it was for a retreat or for whatever, whatever ministry needs that he had. And they were there. And you don't hear about Martha and Mary's husband. You don't hear about their parents. So you will have to assume, and I think that, that many commentators assume, that these were an independently wealthy family that ministered to Jesus at that particular time. Uh, I also want to say this. Martha was probably the lead. Martha was probably, Martha was probably the oldest one, and she directed the household. And, and in my opinion, Mary and Martha had big personalities. You barely hear of Lazarus. As a matter of fact, you wouldn't have heard of Lazarus if he hadn't died and rose from the dead. Isn't that kind of funny? Because usually if you hear of a story at that particular time in that particular culture, it talked about the men. But it talks about the ladies in this particular situation. So what I would like to do, if I could, is I would like to kind of go through these three passages of Scripture and show you some things which are important because each one shows us something special about Mary and about how God moves and works in our life. The first one is being at Mary's feet to grow. Let me read the passage. It says says here in Luke chapter 10. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. If you read this passage, this is a familiar passage. Just kind of wave at me. I, yeah, I've, I've heard this one. As a matter of fact, I think the book of Luke flows quite smoothly until this paragraph comes along and ruins our day. If you ask me. I look at at this passage, and it is uncomfortable for many of us. And there's a reason why. Because we identify with Martha, don't we? We are kind of puzzled by Jesus' response to Martha. And um, Martha seems to me, um, doesn't seem to be doing anything wrong. We identify with her. Martha, no doubt, was expressing her love and her respect for Jesus through her efforts. And after all, if everybody sits, then what? Nothing gets done. If anything's going to happen, we need people to help. I know I mentioned this a number of weeks at church here, about on a Sunday morning, how many people do we need to run church on a Sunday morning? We figured it's about 50 people. When you talk about the worship team, you talk about the sound team, you talk about the greeters, you talk about the Sunday school teachers, those who prepare come early to prepare coffee. It's up to 50 people. If those people didn't show up, if people didn't volunteer their time, if people didn't express their love through Jesus, through the things that they do to serve, where would, where would we be? Now sometimes the danger is this, that we misrepresent or misinterpret the idea that if I work more, then I love more, then I care more. And so we're kind of puzzled by Martha. Here's the other thing, Martha was culturally correct. Mary was culturally wrong. Like it must have taken Mary a whole bunch of gumption to sit at Jesus' feet because that was something which was normally held for students, men who were studying under him. So Mary's saying, hey, push over. I want to sit down as well, Bent a lot in that day and time. She probably got a lot of looks. She probably got a lot of comments from people who were sitting around. Aren't you supposed to be helping your sister? And we don't have to suffer through that type of a sexist culture. Um, But we still do have a culture in our church, and it is this. That if you're here, then God expects you to get things done. I know that we say the most important thing for us to do is to pray and to sit at the feet of Jesus. But unofficially, our church culture worships the effort, and herein lies the problem. Many times, and uh, and so you know it becomes it becomes hard today. And, and as a pastor, I know this full well. Someone comes up to me and says, "Pastor, what was your week like?" fantastic. I spent my whole week sitting at the feet of Jesus. It was wonderful. And many times the response can be this. That's great. Um, Did you get that report done? You know, Mrs. Jones is in the hospital. Have you visited her? Um, What about that sermon? How's it coming along? It's not going to preach itself, is it? And so there's a pressure that is continually upon a pastor or just people in ministry to, to be able to do the work. And here's the other thing. Let me just get this out. It's not too often that you are entertaining the Messiah. Right? Like she's, she's cooking dinner for the Messiah. This, this seems to be a big thing. Now, having married Italian there are some distinct things about Italian culture. One of them was this, that when I got married, there was this wonderful China collection, Royal Albert Bicentennial Rose. Wonderful. Really wonderful. And so what we did is over the first 20 years that we had this, and I don't remember a day being married we didn't have it, is we would set this up in our hutch and it was absolutely beautiful. And in the first 20 years that we were married, we moved nine times. And so, every time that we moved, we put those, those, that wonderful china away, had little sheets in between it. We took it out and placed it up. And in those 20 years, can you guess how many times we used the china? Zero. And the reason was, I think that the china was reserved for the time that the pope was going to come to visit, or the queen, or today the king. But after a while, we just said, why are we dragging this around, looking for something special? And, and, and I would imagine that in the mind of Martha, it would be in, in me, if it's the Messiah, it's not just... just not. Regular company. It's not like we're having the Burton's over, or the Bambridge's over, or the Scholdices over, or the, the Boyce's over. A lot of B words, a lot of B people in, in here. <laughs> this was something special. Whenever I do something for Jesus, I want to do everything I possibly can because it's the Messiah. Whenever you do work for Jesus, whenever you're here to sing or whether you're here to usher, whatever you do, you want to do it the best you possibly can because you're not just doing it for some kind of voluntary service. You're doing it because you love Jesus with all of your heart. And this is what Mary faced. So what was the problem with Mary? What was the thing that she had? See, what she was doing was a reflection. Um, It reflected her identity. You know, this was who she was. It reflected her industry. She wanted to do something for God. It reflected her intention. She wanted to, I would think and I would feel, to worship Jesus. And so the question you have is, what is it that that was going on? This is important because I believe that we are frustrated, Martha, that are having to face the challenge of being Mary in a Martha world. So why was Jesus so hard on Martha? I think that Martha... Um, was in danger of um, replacing a life of intimacy with a life of industry. And Jesus challenged, he challenges us to choose the better of two so that we can actually become effective for both. If you have ever replaced a life of intimacy with a life of industry, you know exactly what I'm talking about because it's not a good thing, is it? Every time... um, I have a life of industry over a life of intimacy. My work becomes an idol. I begin to become more like a Pharisee, even if the work is intended to glorify Jesus. Every time industry takes over intimacy, I stop abiding in the vine. Every time industry eclipses intimacy, I'm more inclined to be driven rather than being led. Every time industry takes over intimacy, I miss out on what God has for me. And when I miss out what God has for me, I then can no longer have the ability to share it with everyone that I love and everyone that I serve. Every time industry takes over intimacy, I become a slave to the urgent. Charles E. Hummel, in his book, Tyranny of the Urgent, says this, your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important. How important is that? If I choose intimacy over industry, I run the risk of going against the church culture. I think it's time for the church culture to change. Every time industry takes over intimacy, I become more interested in managing the perception of others than I do seeking the perception of God. Wow. Every time I choose industry over industry, I blame others for the troubles I face. Mary... You're to blame. Every time industry takes over intimacy, I can question God's love. God, Jesus, don't you care that Mary's just sitting there while I have all the work to do? Every time intimacy takes over, uh, industry takes over industry, I tell God what to do. Jesus, tell Mary to stop sitting at your feet and come and help me. See how it works? If I choose intimacy over industry, I run the risk of sounding lazy or impractical. If I choose intimacy over industry, I become counterintuitive to what the culture says. But what I do is I actually find God. What happens is I go from a statement that says this, just don't sit there, do something, it becomes Don't just do something, sit there. Interesting, is it? And every time intimacy takes over intimacy, what happens is I begin to receive something from Jesus. If they have the next slide here, Um, it says this If I choose intimacy over industry, I allow Jesus to be able to do something in me before I am able to do something in others. And that's key. Because every time I choose the better part I become uh, because ministry to my spirit must precede ministry um, to others let me just say this the great commandment is this love Jesus with all of your heart soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself this is mentioned a number of times in the Bible but it is never ever mentioned the other way around you ever notice that? Love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's a reason for that. Because if neighbor love is only done on your own, it'll fall apart. It will be ineffective. You will burn out. In order for us to effectively serve people, we first need to receive something from God. And maybe this is just for one or two people here today. It's this. When Jesus saved you, The last thing he wanted to do is to make you a slave. He made you a person that wants to love Jesus with all their heart. And so the first time we see Mary, she is sitting at his feet to grow. The second time we see Mary of Bethany, she was sitting at the feet of Jesus um, to grieve. I also put gripe... Because we will find many times, is there sometimes there's a very little difference between both. And, and all of us have grieved. Um, many times we have griped. For some of us here, that is our spiritual gift. Maybe. No. Take a look at John chapter 11. I'm not going to read the whole passage of Scripture. Just the part where Mary shows up. But for those of you who don't know the, this story... Um, Jesus is in a neighboring town when Lazarus falls sick and and Jesus could have come right away and he didn't. He waited four days and Lazarus dies. And a huge miracle is about to take place. But until that point, he comes late to the party to the point where where his friend Lazarus has died and, and Martha comes up And she begins to talk to Jesus. But in the process, Mary all of a sudden finds out that Jesus is there. And she begins to run out of town. This is what it says in in John 11, verses 30 to 32. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And When Mary reached the place where Jesus uh, was and saw him, it says she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now, the first instance, there is no sense that there was anything wrong. In this particular occasion, though, things are gravely wrong. There's a different level of stress, there's a different level of crisis. You ever notice that our approach to God? changes depending on what we are going through at a particular time. And sometimes we go through those times. Uh, pain and crisis is inevitable in our lives. And many times you will only be as mature as the crisis that you face. But it says here that she, she falls at the feet of Jesus. The posture is different. It's like one of desperation, despondency. It's like one person who is begging. It's a person who humbles themselves, a person at the end of the strength. And when Martha talks to Jesus, she says, I know that we will see him again on the resurrection. What Martha said was theologically correct. But what Mary said was raw. It was real. And it was a very tough thing for her to go through. And, it, and, and Martha's reaction leads to the most One of the most famous verses, the shortest verse in all of the New Testament, which is Jesus wept. So it was Mary's emotion that prompted Jesus' emotion. And that's important for us to understand. What do I learn from Mary? I learn lots from Mary. That God wants the real me. I think many people fall away from Jesus because they're never, ever willing to show the real God, the real self. That God relates to real hurt. That Jesus doesn't mind the true emotion and honest hurt that we go through. As a matter of fact, I believe that that's the fertile ground for God to grow in our lives. And, and um, it appears that she was like impolite. It's like she was rude. It's kind of like different. Martha was kind of rude in the first one. This time, Mary seems to be the one who is kind of out of place. And and like I said, I could have said gripe instead of grieve. But both of them require the same degree of honesty. How are you with honesty to God? I learned something as a pastor a number of years into my walk with God and and as I was leading and pastoring that I found it necessary to journal, to take uh, times in my computer to, to just say what was on my heart because I had something to look back on and it slowed my mind enough to be actually able to articulate where my heart was with God. But I learned very quickly what the first rule of journaling is and it is this. If you're going to journal, you have to fire the editor. (laughs) What do you mean by that? Well, I shouldn't be so concerned about what I think God wants me to say than what is truly on my heart. The ability to be actually honest with God. Lamentations 2.19, I said it during the prayer. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. 1 Peter 5 7, casting all your care on him because he cares for you. And again, she takes a risk the first time sitting down with a bunch of the boys. She takes a risk the second time sitting at Jesus' feet and not being appropriate in her prayer. Imagine praying that prayer to the Messiah. You hadn't been here, God. My brother wouldn't have died. I know there'll be people who will interpret that and say, well, you know, she was actually saying something. No, she wasn't saying something different. She was angry. She was just plain old honest. What was going on? What was taking place? And, and it appears that Mary wasn't concerned about being appropriate. She's concerned about being real. And I'm not too sure what the crisis is that you are personally facing. Maybe you have a child that's sick. Maybe someone close to you has just died. Maybe you have been locked in a trial for an extended time and you just feel like screaming, God, I am sick and tired, I'm through with this. Maybe you're locked in a state of poverty or misfortune. I can't tell you what it is. But I think the times that God moves the most effective and powerful prayers in Scripture are not the loudest, not the longest, not the most eloquent, but they're the ones that are the most honest. God calls us to be honest, and I think that God does something in that level of honesty. I think that God can be real to you when you can be real to him. Sitting at Jesus' feet to grieve or to gripe. The last one is this. Sitting at Jesus' feet to grasp. Just gotta go a couple more verses ahead the chapter 12. A very pivotal moment in the history of the gospel story. John 12, verses 3 to 8. When, when Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold when the money given to the poor it was worth a year's wages? He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was the thief as keeper of the money bank, he used to help himself to it for, uh, and, to, and help himself to what was put into it. And "Leave her alone," Jesus replied. "It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me." This is another reason why they believed that Mary and Martha were independently rich, wealthy people. Not everybody has a perfume that's worth a year's wages in their back closet, and there was something about this thing that was this this perfume, this nard, was actually for funerals, and it was in this alabaster jar, which was kind of a form of marble. But there was no kind of cap on it; it was just this intricate piece of of, uh, of jewelry, or I wouldn't say jewelry, like pottery or whatever, but it's kind of a marble, and and you couldn't just pull the cork and use it. to, to keep the integrity of the fragrance, you had to actually break the jar. And you had to use all of it. And you could only use it once. And so this is why she did what she did. And so here we see Mary at Jesus' feet once again, and the circumstances are again different. And here again, she's taking a risk. Here again, she's being criticized more concerned with what God's trying to say rather than what people thought. And Mary had a grasp at what was taking place. Somehow, in the whole process of everything that had gone during those three and a half years, she read into the fact that Jesus said he was going to die. How is it, folks, that Mary comprehended that Jesus was going to die soon when all other people that were close to him couldn't figure it out? What was it in Mary that caused her to figure it out and everybody else not to? The only thing that I can think of is this, that you spend, when you spend extended time sitting at Jesus' feet, that Jesus will reveal things to people who are continually before him. You want to know things that other people don't know? you need to sit at the feet of Jesus. If you want a relationship with him which is authentic and true, you need to take time, spend time at the feet of Jesus and, and he begins to reveal. He does supernatural things. Early on in my years as a pastor, as a pastor, one of the most important things I find as a pastor is that I want to be able to preach Word of God that will change people's lives. I just want to preach to hear myself speak. I want to be used by God. I believe every pastor believes this. God anointed me to preach truth. And there was a, a quote from a book from E.M. Bounds, Power Through Prayer, that stuck with me to the point that for the first 10 years of my ministry, I had one of those yellow stick notes with this quote on it. It says this, He will never talk well and with real success to men for God who has not learned well how to talk to God for men. And it said something extremely important to me that if God was going to make me successful at reaching people with the word, it wasn't going to be with eloquent speech, which you have discovered by now but by sitting at the feet of Jesus. Is that not true? And it is true of you as well with whatever thing you are trying to do for God. The most valuable things are found only at the feet of Jesus. The most difficult problems will be solved only at the feet of Jesus. The most rewarding things that you will have in your life will be found only at the feet of Jesus. The question is this, are we willing to stay there long enough and regularly enough to allow God to do great things through you? I believe that God is calling the post-COVID church to do something new, exciting, and powerful. But it will only come by a feet-first faith. This is not the worst the church has gone through in history. And it very well may be that the next year that we go through, we might find it even more uncomfortable. I'm not too sure. This is one thing I do know. Throughout church history, there have been a number of problems, more than difficult than what we have gone through. And the only common element is this. That the solution has always been the same. Acts chapter 12. Peter's about to be killed. The church is about to be eliminated. What did they do? Devoted themselves to pray. In England, in, in, in Wales, when, when things were just threatening to go to nothing, Robert Evans began to pray with a number of people and revival set out. And across the ocean. And it ended up being at the Azusa Street Revival. And, and that's what we, we benefit from those revivals that had happened. My question is Are we at that point again where God is calling His church to engage in feet first ministry, to be at His feet? Because I believe that God is not just calling the post COVID church, He's calling the post COVID you to do something exciting and powerful. But it will only come with feet first faith. And it's risky. And at times it's inappropriate and it's counterintuitive. Will you do it? Will you allow God to move? Will you get yourself to a point where you say, here God, I don't know what to do. All I can do is sit at your feet to allow you to restore me to the person that you have called me to be. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Lord, I believe that you're wanting to do something special. I would love to say, God, you're wanting to do something special in this church, and and I believe that's true, but I think that you're wanting to do something special in every church which teaches the truth of the gospel. And I believe in God that you're wanting to restore us and to renew us and to reignite us and to revive us So, God, I just pray, Father, as I have prayed all week, that the word of God will be heard, that the challenge will be taken, that God, you will do something to our hearts. After the point I say, Amen, that you will do something to our hearts. It says, God, I just want to sit at your feet. Trying to, tired of trying to work my way through it. Trying to, I do all the things on my own, and I want you to work. I want you, God, to move. I want you to have your way. The only way that I can happen, whatever the situation, whether things are OK, or whether someone is close to death, or, or, or whether I'm just not too sure what to do next, God. just want to just want to sit at your feet, at the expense of other things, at the expense of sounding or looking different. being inappropriate, whatever the case may be, God. You need to be absolute Lord of my life. And my time needs to prove it. And so, God, I just pray this blessing upon the church and maybe the challenge from the Word of God. It says, God, I just want to love you more. I want to serve you more. It's been a long time since I've just sat at your feet. I pray, God, that you do something real, something authentic in my life. I don't want to play the church game anymore. I just want to love you with all my heart. So God, I pray, Father, that you'll just begin to move in every person, younger or older, whatever the situation they are going through. This applies to everyone. Pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.